In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Good evening. Such a pleasure to have you with us this evening. Cindy, I see that you are still in Oregon and that beautiful, beautiful background that you have. I know it's your home. It's lovely. Y'all doing well? Doing well, getting rested up and just settling in, planting a few things, pretty flowers to look at this summer. And yeah, we'll be here through about the middle of September. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And Allison, a long time for you. Oh, no, I know. I know. Won't know how to act, as they say. So, <laughs> how are things going for you, Allison? Your kids Good. doing I'm you? in the middle of a musical. Uh, um, this is what uh, this is called Tech Week, which means you run it with all the lights and the sound. So, it's kind of a crazy. Anyone in theater knows Tech Week is like crazy week. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a little crazy, but we love it like that, right? Allison, do songs get stuck in your head? Are, yes. are the songs I will wake up in the morning and I'm singing one of the songs in yeah. my head. And as I'm trying to go to sleep, I'm like, stop singing that song. Yeah. I think about that with musicians that yeah. do the same concerts for decades. It's like, how do you handle so much? Oh, yeah. When you think about some of the more famous singers, I mean, if if they don't sing a song that they sang 20 years ago, that they're, you gotta know they're sick of that song, you know, mm -hmm. they're sick of singing that song, but they've been oh, singing yeah. it for 20 years, you know. <laughs> uh, Cindy, I see your kitty cat in the, on the sofa behind you. Are they glad to be home? She's my co-host, yeah. I think she's glad. When we first got here, she was at the front door going like, wait, is this over? Like, what's going on? So, She's hard to read, but yeah, yeah she'll be a little co-host today, I guess. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, today we're talking about, tonight rather, we're talking about human nature. So, Cindy, take us on. Uh, well, I wanted to start us off for this program about talking like the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, wrote by inspiration the most foundational observation about human nature in Ecclesiastes 7.29 when he said, Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices, unquote. So we learn here, we learn here that when it comes to human nature, for one thing, Calvinism is erroneous when it asserts that God made men guilty of Adam's sin. This verse says God made men upright. So there's the first clarification. Um, in fact, each one of us starts out innocent and upright when we are born. That's why we are told in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, be innocent as babies. So if we were by our nature born guilty of Adam's sin, you know, it couldn't be said, be innocent as babies. All right. Exactly. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. 
Still, what Solomon wrote confirms what we've all observed in life. Not one of us remains innocent. Truly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. In this program, we soul sisters want to dig into what God says about the nature of humanity so that ultimately we can make ourselves more aware of those many devices that we just read about in Ecclesiastes 7.29 to prevent what Proverbs 4.19 describes when it says the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over. They do not know what makes them stumble. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation this month about human nature. Like what makes us stumble so that we can be aware of those things and make the most of life. So we have a few, let's let God talk first. We have uh, okay. <laughs> verses we want to share. So Allison, share with us a couple of verses of what God says. Well, on this. Isaiah 55, eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways declares the Lord. And so if you think about this, we live, it's human nature. I guess we get a little too big for our britches is what my yeah. grandpa would say. Um, we live in a society where you know, we Google our medical symptoms and then feel every bit as qualified to diagnose ourselves as a doctor with a PhD. And mm -hmm. we don't value that wisdom or it's just impossible for us to think that somebody may know better than we do. Um, and our thoughts, no matter how intelligent we are, cannot even scratch the surface of the Lord God Almighty. Our, when you say his thoughts are not our thoughts, it's like we can't even get to the front porch of what yeah. God, you know, if we are constantly trying to put ourselves on the level of God, mm -hmm. our human nature is just, we're so limited. You're going to go down a road that is going to end in destruction. And quite honestly, until you can spin a universe into existence, you can't really advise God or you're not on his level. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on this, Isla? Now, that's so true because we, you know, I think of that a lot of times when I think, well, you know, I'm going to pray for God to do what I want him to do. And I think, well, right. you know, <laughs> I really yeah. don't need to do that. I, that's what I think ought to happen. But my thoughts are not God's thoughts and his ways are so high above my thought. I think I would be afraid and concerned if I felt like I could understand God. Mm -hmm. I think it's beyond us. It's such a contrast, isn't it? With the gods of mythology that had all these vices and right. Dramas. God is perfect and omniscient and God's thoughts and ways are entirely free of these devices that we're going to be talking about that men seek out that we wrote about in Ecclesiastes 7. So that's the more closely that we take to heart his omniscient wisdom, um, the more of those devices are going to be resolved. And sometimes devices is translated schemes, downward paths, inventions, twisted minds and such. So we want to spare and evade ourselves as many of those as we can. And right. so that's when we're talking about this this month. Right. And on the heels of that, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, and, and we've used this verse several times, but it, it's so true. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And, you know, another verse that 
agrees with that completely is in Proverbs when we're talking about wisdom is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's like, why do you think that verse says not to lean on your own understanding? Well, because, because your heart is more deceitful. <laughs> it's deceitful. It your understanding can't possibly fathom all the different things. I, when I took a statistics class in college, it, let's just say it just blew my mind. It's not my thing. I'm a musician. Okay. I'm way too artsy for that, but you know, statistically this could happen or this, and it just goes off into this direction that literally blows your mind. And, and that's the thing is like, you can't possibly no, like what we see with our wisdom is this domino and maybe three or four more. When we have an action, we may see three or four dominoes. And if you think about like a teenager, they see one domino, maybe another, but they don't see three, four, five, and six. The ripple effect. Yeah. Yes. All the things like if I do this, then this yeah. domino will fall, but they yeah. don't see if I go. 50 miles over the speed limit, you know, oh, well, I'm a good driver. Well, you don't see domino seven, eight, nine. Okay. But mm -hmm. God sees domino 5 million, you know, and to know that that's our heart is deceitful. We think this is fine. There's no problem, but you can't possibly see that far. You are mm -hmm. leaning on your own understanding. And that's why we just have to unplug that and understand that our hearts are deceitful. Yes. What are your thoughts, Isla? Well, that is so true. Um, I was thinking of we're going to start a study on the Holy Spirit. And and I was thinking of the community Bible study I did when, you know, people would say, well, God speaks to me and I know it's true. And I said, well, how do you know it's true? Well, that's, you know, and it's hard for us to think that maybe what we hear in our mind is just what we want is just our own deceitful heart speaking to us. And we have to go to the word, to God's word. So then we know what God wants us to know when we have yeah. this word rather than just sort of these, you know, things that we hear and, and, and from time to time, you know, in our, uh, yeah. in our minds, ears, I guess you would say. So, um, that's that's the I guess the connection that I make with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is the great physician that heals our souls and our spiritual leprosy. I mean, because we're so skilled at talking ourselves into happily living in sin. Like, here's why it's justified that what I want to do is exactly what I should do. That's what we want to avoid. That's what our heart wants us. Our heart is constantly saying yeah do what feels good if it feels good it must be right mm -hmm. so um i do you have another verse for us that talks mm. about what god says around human nature um i'm looking at first corinthians chapter three verses one through five uh but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in christ I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are they not being merely human? When I read this passage, I thought about how hard it is to put away our human nature, to set it aside. Mm. Um, I have recently been fasting, intermittent fasting, trying to sort of jumpstart a, a weight loss. And it's hard because my, my human self wants to eat and wants to eat what I want to eat now. You know, And I, that's the same way with our human nature regarding our willfulness, wow. what we want to do. But uh, Paul is telling them, I, I wanted to address you as spiritual people, but you haven't put away that human nature. You are still infants in Christ. You still are people of the flesh and you're just not ready yet, but you've got to put away that human nature. It mm -hmm. doesn't come naturally and it doesn't feel good to say, mm -hmm. well, I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what God, because I think that jealousy and fighting where he talks about is there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh behaving in a human way? That jealousy and strife is just from birth. Haven't we seen our little children jealous of one another, you know, and um, that, but when we become children of God through that obedience, through baptism, God expects better of us. He wants oh, us to stop behaving like humans and to behave like those who are destined for heaven. So much for the excuse. I'm only human. Well, I'm only human. Like, first of all, that's so obvious. Mm -hmm. We already know that <laughs> we're human. I mean, nobody thinks you're an alien. Um, yes, we're all human. But God here said, is telling Paul, um, we need to go beyond, uh, are you only behaving in the human way? So yeah, he gives us everything we need to overcome, everything we're going to talk about. We're going to take two sessions to talk about this. And so all of the struggles that we're going to address when it comes to human nature, take heart. Um, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can be more than merely human. Because we have access, you guys, to this powerful, transformative influence of God when we choose to remain um, with him instead of our own self-destruction. So that we're kind of inclined to, that we fall naturally into. So um, we're going to do something over the next couple of weeks that we're really not necessarily going to make a habit of. But <laughs> I thought it was very useful in this case to listen to what um, people throughout history have said uh, what humans have noted in human nature, because basically what they've noted is what God has already said. But in some cases, it's going to show us exactly how many of these qualities that are fleshly, how they exhibit themselves um, within our interactions with each other. And I think you'll see what I mean as we get into this. Um, so the first, the first quote, we're going to go through some quotes, some observations that people have made about human nature. And the first one I feel is very counterculture and it's really talking about the meaning of life. So James Aggie says, quote, nature is what we are put into this world to rise above. Does that verse remind, does that quote remind you of any verses, ladies, that nature is what we are put into this world to rise above? I mean, it's 
a lot like what we've just been reading, isn't it? It sure is. I'll tell you what it reminded me of was, uh, it's a line too that Catherine Hepburn said in The African Queen. Uh-huh. Bogart says, well, you know, I like to take a nip every once in a while. Sometimes I overindulge. That's just human nature. And she says, nature, my dear sir, is what we need to rise above. Ah. And I thought that really shows the struggle between let me do what I want to do, what feels yeah. good to me, and yeah. let me do the will of God. Let me do what God wants me to do. Um, Galatians 6 Verses 16 through 26 give us help us with that. I, that was one that uh, that I saw. Now I have to find it unless you've got well, it. Yeah, probably uh, Galatians 5, Isla. I'm sorry, is it? Um, yeah. yeah, that Galatians 5 talks about walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the answer. And walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So next week we're going to talk about like the fruits of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh. And the thing that's fascinating to me is that, and I used, is something that I used to teach in my teen and college age girls classes in this curriculum I wrote called Now Fly. We would look at, we'd make a list of the fruits of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh. And I had them do this activity where, hey, which of these fruits of the spirit prevents which of these deeds of the flesh? So draw a line from the fruit of the spirit that prevents which deed of the flesh. And it's really, really, I think, a very useful activity to kind of show how our solution really is to focus on growing those fruits of the spirit, to overcome our the things that challenge us in our human nature. If you focus on those fruits of the spirit, you know, love is going to prevent enmity and strife and jealousy and, and patience is going to prevent outbursts of anger and self-control is going to prevent drunkenness, that kind of thing. So it really makes it, um, it's encouraging to know that, you know, you don't have to send yourselves into a pit where you're spending your whole life, like trying to get out of a pit created by those deeds of the flesh that are come natural in human nature. Also um, knowing that that's what sets us apart. That's what mm -hmm. makes us as Christians different when they, you know, I think about when um, Christ said, go the extra mile, you yeah. know, legally the Jews were commanded by, by the Romans that they had to carry their stuff for a mile. But what made the Christians different is they carried it for two. And it's mm -hmm. like legally they were required to do that one thing. But because they love God, not because they love the Roman soldier, not because they like the rules or they like being oppressed, but that's yeah. what sets us apart. That's what people take notice and like say, wait a minute, what is it that you have that I don't have? Yeah. And, it, and it is these things, this counter human nature, because human nature is I'm not carrying it one inch past the mile marker. That's not fair. Yeah, right. That's not fair. That's not right. I don't have to do that. But mm -hmm. our human nature, when we go against that, when we do what Christ has commanded us to do, it sets us apart. People take uh, notice of that. Wait, when somebody would normally want vengeance and you give them love and and, and kindness, yeah. it's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And very much drawing people into Christ like, wow, exactly. I think I need what she has. 
and what she has is Christ. And surprisingly, those things of vengeance and all those things, they yeah. don't fulfill you. They don't make you like, I'm going to get you back and then I'm going to be happy. They do for like 30 seconds. They feel yeah, fantastic for, sometimes yeah. they feel fantastic for three months. And so, I mean, it's like for a while. Yeah, it's, it's temporary. only temporary, temporary. Right. For the long-term, the long-term joy in God's right hand or pleasures forever. That's where the long-term joy is to be certain. So let's look at another quote, you guys. Um, here, this is an interesting observation that I have taken some time to expound on because um, I think it's really an eye opener on how the enemy of our soul can trick us into twisting our virtues into vices. And it's which is a lot like if, if you if some of our viewers have not read the screw tape letters, this is kind of along those lines. And so it comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, quote, our very defects are shadows of our virtues. So um, if the producer bring up a slide at this point, um, this slide I hope is going to better further explore this concept. And so Cindy Dunnigan learned in making this slide that she should do two slides with bigger fonts. And so that's what I'm aiming for next time. But what I'll do for our viewers watching this on a cell phone, I'm going to share this document in the comment section after we're done recording this. And that way you'll have this if you find it useful. So our very defects are shadows of our virtues. So here's the key point. It's human nature to allow our defects in our character um, by substituting the virtues God wants us to live out for our own good to his glory, to substitute those virtues for the shadows of those virtues, so to speak. So as we go through these examples of what I'm talking about, and I think what Emerson is referring to, to me, the main thing is, here's what the big takeaway is going to be at the end of this chart. That is wisdom is often expressed in doing the virtuous thing in the right time, in the right way, and to the right degree. So here are some examples. Honesty, Satan wants to, us to... Um, for our honesty to be shadowed by cruelty. So do you, do you see how when honesty is misapplied or misused, um, it, I guess it's not being used at the right time in the right way to the right degree, that that can result in cruelty. So mm -hmm. honesty must not be shadowed by cruelty. Like, don't bully people and call it honesty, right? right? Yeah. Just because you're right doesn't mean you can use it as a weapon or you can speak right. it however you want. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Well, you yeah, know, awesome. an example I thought of was if you're taking your friend to a program and she's going to speak, honesty <laughs> is when she steps out of her house and you see her slip is showing, you say, oh, your slip is showing. That's honest. Yeah. The cruelty is waiting until she's ready to step up onto the stage and say, oh, by the way, your slip is showing. That's yeah. honest. Same <laughs> words, but as you say, not in the right time. How about this one? Courage must not be shadowed by recklessness. I think of this one, it's like anything that, that starts with, here, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> this is recklessness. And a lot of what is being called courage right now in our political climate is coming out of the closet and calling that courageous 
when what got you into the closet was recklessness, was sexual recklessness. So don't mistake courage for recklessness. There's a difference and wisdom can tell the difference. Um, any thoughts on that one? Just, just like what you said, courage, you know, the courage to go 90 miles an hour down the, that's yeah. not courage. That's, that's recklessness. And to be able to recognize, have the wisdom to recognize the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. So harmony, did you have something, Isla? Yeah, I uh, thought of Psalm 27 and verse 14 that says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Sometimes it's more courageous to wait to mm. see, you know, for things to happen rather than to charge in uh, recklessly. Um, and uh, I thought about Paul in uh, his journeys and dealing with people. He was not, a, I mean, he was not opposed to suffering and being beaten for the Lord. But at least once he said, do you think you should? Because I'm a Roman citizen. I mean, he he was courageous. Another time he said nothing till after it was done, but mm. he was not reckless with it. Uh, he mm -hmm. let his nephew go and tell the commander, hey, these men are said they're going to go get, they're going to kill Paul. He wasn't scared that they might kill him, but mm -hmm. courage was not a reckless courage. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe the thing is, what are you trying to gain with your courage? You know, is it something right. of value or just you're wanting people to say, wow, he's pretty bold or whatever? Yeah. Maybe motivation is one way we can tell the difference. How about this one? Harmony must not be shadowed by moral concession. When I think about the difference between harmony and moral concession, I'm thinking about like not disciplining your children or correcting those who are walking in sin. And I think we've dug into that pretty well in our program in the past, that having harmony with people, it's not like you're going to be like, oh, go ahead and destroy yourself. We want to, we want to have harmony here. So that. That's one um, example of that. How about this one? Love must not be shadowed by hurtful permissiveness. It kind of goes along with that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. Love doesn't mean letting your kids play in the street and not telling them to come in. You know, it upset them if you told them to come in. You you wouldn't do that. You would protect uh -huh. your children. Like, why? It, it isn't love to leave them in the street. I, I would argue the opposite is true. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, love must be tough. And I think about that with people that have had like prodigal children. Um, and you, you look at the story of how the prodigal father had dealt with his rebellious son. And what how would the story have been different if if he had been sending him extra financial bonuses to the far country and all the care packages and like doing everything he could do to keep him from feeling the consequences of his decision. I mean, that's all a judgment call, but I think that knowing how much to help and when to let the people we love um, feel the things that it's going to take for them to realize their desperate need for God, mm -hmm. you know, so. I was reminded of, of Hebrews uh, chapter 12, 
uh, in verse six, uh, it, this chapter, it talks about um, that uh, the exhortation of God addressing us as his children. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son mm. it, whom he receives. Mm -hmm. uh, God's treating you like a son. What son is there right. whom his father does not discipline? If you really love your child, then you provide them with discipline. That doesn't mean beat them every time. I don't mean that, but you discipline them to behave. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Lord disciplines us with much mercy, doesn't he, Isla? And we need to right. do the same for our children and treat them the way we want to be treated. So, and that means doing what's best for them in the long run. Mm -hmm. So peace must not be shadowed by fear of difficult, vital conversations. Like let's have the courage to say the truth and talk about the hard things. And a lot of these kind of relate to each other. Patience must not be shadowed with apathy. So patience, we've got to wait and wait and wait often for, I think about a spiritual application of those we're waiting to repent. That doesn't mean we're going to become apathetic over time, that we are going to still going to care enough to keep praying and still have hope that God will can change what we cannot. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I think both the peace um, and fear of the difficult conversations and the patience, and they look the they look the same on the outside. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes you're hiding cowardice because, yes. oh, well, I'm just being peaceful and loving and patient. And it's really is cowardice on the inside, but it is kind of confusing because on the outside, it may look the same. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is tricky. Um, here's another tricky one that a lot of people fall into. Um, goodness must not be shadowed by self righteousness i mean isn't that one of satan's favorite tricks like if i can't destroy the christian with vices i'll destroy them with pride right. so you're good that's one of the devil's favorite tools is self-righteous christians because they have turned a lot of people away from the church absolutely yeah don't let them use don't let them use your goodness like that goodness must be paired with humbleness right for right. it to be glory to God. Uh, gentleness must not be shadowed by passiveness. I feel like we've kind of talked about similarities there. Yeah, gentleness still speaks. It just speaks with the least amount of force necessary to inspire others to choose to do what they should do for their own good. You know, what's the least amount of force that it'll take to convince someone to um, do what's good for themselves? Um, how about this one, you guys? Self-control must not be shadowed by asceticism. I I always think of those, you know, you see in the movies, the priests that have those whips where they like slap themselves uh -huh. in the back and like they're, I, when I hear that word, that's just what I think of. And yeah. but I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Like that's uh -huh. not what God has asked to do. In fact, if that's true, why would God have asked Hosea to go buy back his unfaithful wife? Uh -huh. You know, it's like, oh, you just need to continue to punish her. Um, yeah. There are so many, it's counterintuitive to what God says. Yeah. Yeah. To deny ourselves things that, I mean, there's, there's sometimes things that people put on their own shoulders that God did not put on your shoulders. 
this asceticism where you're you're going to deny yourself a bunch of things that God did not say you need to deny yourself. Like there's enough that we are supposed to deny ourselves um, right. to add that. But in the thing that makes it really dangerous is that we can get a holier than thou feeling or in some cases, on the other hand, we could get sidetracked into majoring in the minor things of life. Like a lot of the asceticism that a lot of people take on have to do with depriving their bodies of, you know, like maybe they do harsh obsessed with exercise or whatever. It could be absolutely anything, but it could be very sidetracking and not having self-control in the areas that God does expect us to have self-control, like a false sense of like, wow, I'm really being hard on myself. So I must be doing the right thing. And that's not not self-punishment, self-control. It's following what God has asked you to do. Right. It's not a sense of self. I'm going to punish myself by doing this. Exactly. Denying myself. Yeah. Knowledge must not be shadowed by arrogance. Like, oh, look how smart I am. You know, helpfulness must not be shadowed by enabling. Boy, we see that every now and then. Like, don't rob people of the confidence in the feeling of being self-reliant or to rely on God alone, like helping people to the point of making people dependent on you is not helping them. It kind of reminds me of that expression, teach people to fish, so to speak, instead of giving them fish. Well, and the the second Thessalonians 3.10 says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah. And that's like, Sounds kind of harsh. Yeah. Right. But are you enabling this person? You know, there's that that saying, don't feed the bears. And the reason you don't feed the bears is because they forget how to hunt for themselves and then they become violent. I think a lot of that might be true with humans as well. Oh, yeah. What about this one, Isla? Humility must not be shadowed by self-hatred. I mean, do we have to hate ourselves to be humble? Like, what's the difference? You know, I've heard it so often that, you know, well, we, we just need to think of ourselves as nothing. We don't need to be thinking, don't need to be prideful. And there's, a, it's a, that self-hatred almost becomes such a backlash of, yeah. of humility overblown, but I look at uh, Romans chapter uh, 12, let's see, and verse three, it says, "For the by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but mm. to think with sober judgment. It doesn't say don't think highly of yourself, just don't mm. think more highly than you ought to. Uh-huh. As we've often talked about the golden rule, love one another love another as you love yourself it doesn't mean hate yourself i mean you shouldn't hate yourself in other words how can you love others the same way you love yourself unless you also love yourself and think well of yourself you know we we have to balance that humility on the one side with pride on the other side with self-hatred and find that middle ground that god speaks of in his word Mm mm-hmm Right. Yeah, like self-respect, right? That we're not going to be self-centered and obsessed with ourselves, but it's self-respect. And I I think, I, I'm not sure if you'd said this in one of our previous uh, programs, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, like less often, right? Right. I think I'm saying that at some point. How about contentment must 
not be shadowed by complacency? Like is contentment, can that lead to laziness? I mean, there's some areas we should be content, right? Um, we should excel still more spiritually, but uh, and like never be content with our level of growth. But um, there's certain things that behoove us to be content in. Um, Philippians 4.11, Paul talks about learn. he's learned in whatever situation to be content. But yeah. that doesn't mean that he's like, okay, I'm being, you know, persecuted. I'm just going to sit back and not do anything. That is not what happened. He continued to spread the gospel, but he was content whether he was, you know, hungry or fed or whatever. It was like, okay, those things we're talking about, like the temporal things. Yeah. With the spiritual things, let's continue to press on to the next level. Yeah, exactly. So I'll wind up the last few quickly so we can uh, close down this uh, program for the night. And the next one was um, determination must not be shadowed by heartlessness. So let's not be like stepping on everyone else, passing the week, hurtling the dead, so to speak, on our <laughs> getting to where we want to go. Dignity must not be shadowed by pride. That's an interesting one um, because it's kind of that attitude of, oh, look how polished and formal I am. You know, I'm so much more polished and formal and I'm so dignified and self-assured that nothing can shake me. So let's not let pride shadow dignity. Um, attentiveness must not be shadowed by obsession. Sometimes we can micromanage a certain corner of our life, like obsessively, in order to make ourselves too busy to attend to something that's like more spiritually pressing and eternally relevant. We want to avoid that. And then uh, industry must not be shadowed by materialism. I mean, workaholics take heed, right? And then lastly, loyalty must not be shadowed by spiritually hurtful compromise. What do you guys think on that one? Um, how might loyalty be shadowed by being spiritually, by spiritual hurtful compromise? If you focus on the fact that our loyalty first is to God. Yes. That's, it is to remember that. It's loyalty to a friend is secondary. And yeah. we're loyal to God and his word and what he said first. If you keep that in the forefront of your mind, I think you're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Isla, I think that's what I have for tonight. So if you uh, have some announcements for us, we'll say good night. Okay. That's wonderful. Next week, we're going to continue this discussion. Cindy's going to lead us in some more points about uh, this uh -oh, mind freeze story. Human nature, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's going to uh, lead us in some more thoughts on this. So please join us next week. Um, the uh, Let me see. See, I'm trying to do this, and I'm not good at this. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see if this will work. I know while you're doing that next week, yeah, we'll continue this conversation and tell us yeah. about ARE and uh, on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Please be sure to tune in to Answering Religious Error and on Wednesdays at noon. Also, be sure to tune in where they have uh, going to answer religious questions. So we are looking forward to that. And um, Cindy, if you have some final comments. Do well, uh, I, have a, 
I had a quote from C.S. Lewis that I was going to end with. And that quote um, says, the better stuff a creature is made of, the cleverer and stronger and freer it is, then the better it will be if it goes right, if it goes right, but also the worse it'll be if it goes wrong. A cow cannot be very good or very bad. A dog can be both better and worse. A child better and worse still. An ordinary man still more so. A man of genius still more so. A superhuman spirit best or worst of all. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. Could set up their own as if they had created themselves. They could be their own masters invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has become nearly all that we have now call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. God designed the human machine to run on himself he himself is the fuel of our spirits that our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on there is no other that is why it is just no good asking god to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion god cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there there is no such thing, C.S. Right. Lewis. So that's that's what I wanted to conclude with. And yeah, and that's all I have for this first edition of exploring what God says about human nature. And so next week, it's the sequel. Very good. Okay. See you ladies next week then.